podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Rational Faiths Podcast, the best podcast on the Blabbernacle. I am your host, Brian Dillman. Uh, I'm happy to say that last episode with uh, Jana Reese and Ben Knoll and Thomas and myself, where we talked about the proposed survey that Jana Jana and Ben have designed, we talked about a Kickstarter fundraiser. And I checked yesterday, and they reached their goal of $17,000. Actually, a little bit more than that. So, all Rational Face listeners that participated, congratulations to you. Way to go. So, let's look forward to the carrying out of the survey and the reporting of it. And I'm sure I'll be able to get Ben and Jenna on to talk about those results when they have them. Um, I do have to apologize... I don't have that awesome music that's normally associated with this series, the Ask the Mormon Sex Therapist series. I was cleaning out my computer and I accidentally took that file off and it's buried in an external hard drive that I need to pull out and get back on here. So I hope you don't mind the slight change in the music. But uh, with that in mind, we do have another episode talking with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. We don't have Laurel with us, uh, but we, we made it through it all right. Hopefully next time around, her children will allow her to hang out with some adults for a little while. In this discussion, we talk about an article that at first may sound really strange, but stick with us and listen to Jennifer's interpretation of it, and I think you'll find it interesting. And as always, we do answer another question. So with that in hand, let's jump right to it. All right, well, we are back with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Uh, Laurel, lovely Laurel, is not with us today. She's busy uh, taking care of her family, doing the things that she has to do. But I get to talk with Dr. Finlayson Fife again. So, Jennifer, welcome back to the podcast again. Thank you. What is going on? What uh, announcements do you have for courses or anything else going on in the next couple weeks or months? Well, I'm coming to Salt Lake City um, August 8th through the 13th and teaching all the courses that I have taught online. I'll be teaching live and they're all updated and upgraded uh, versions of the courses and they'll be being recorded. I'll be the only part recorded. Uh, The audience won't be recorded, so it'll be anonymous for people. But um, so the, the actual delivery of the content of my courses will also be upgraded. So those are available for people to purchase um, tickets uh, for admission. The 8th and 9th is the Strengthening Your Relationship course. The 10th, 11th, and 12th is the um, Enhancing Sexual Intimacy course. And then it'll be a long day on Saturday, but it's the Art of Desire course for LDS women. And um, none of the, you can come with your spouse, without your spouse. You can come even if you don't have a spouse to any of those courses. They're open for understanding yourself in relationships, uh, whether or not you have a partner with you. Great. What are those dates again? Through 13th are the dates that I'll be in Salt Lake. The classes will take place in South Jordan, and it's the 8th and 9th for the relationship course, the 10th, 11th, and 12th for the couples intimacy course, and then a long day on the 13th, which is a Saturday, for the women's sexuality course. And a lot of tickets have already um, been purchased, but if you're interested in them, uh, there's still space, and you can, well, we'll link to it perhaps on the podcast but you can find it all under events on my website, which is finlaysonfife.com. All right. Great. 
We'll definitely put that in the show notes. Um, today, instead of answering two questions, we're going to do it slightly different. I found an article called Gender and Sexual Orientation Differences in Sexual Response to Sexual Activities versus Gender of Actors in Sexual Films. And if it sounds racy, it is. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about this article briefly because it's really interesting. And then after that, we, we do have one question that Jennifer will answer that uh, I think ties in with the discussion from this article. So uh, let me introduce the article a little bit. So this is really, uh, for me as a chemist, the research papers that I typically read, this is very different. Um, but it is interesting. So they tried to... They recruited a bunch of uh, people to basically watch something that may or may not arouse them in film. Different types of non-arousing things like a landscape scene and then various types of uh, pornography, basically, or of nature shows. So there's a lot of different things that they were able to watch. And they ended up recruiting and including uh, 44 men and 47 women. And I believe about half of each group were homosexual and half were heterosexual. And the types of visual stimuli that um, had for these subjects to watch were so either nude exercise, either walking along or doing something like yoga, where the, the subject is the, the actor is nude masturbation by the actor or sexual intercourse by uh, people of the same sex or people of, op of opposite sexes or the bonobo chimpanzees. And the whole reason for doing this is trying to understand what, what is the range of sexual responses people might have to visual stimuli. And so that's the things that they were exposed to and the way they measured the sexual response in two ways. In one way, it was a subjective response. So the, the subjects um, would just use a keypad to tell the researchers on a scale of 0 to 100 how aroused they were. So whatever they were feeling in their mind as being aroused or not, they could uh, put a numerical value uh, continuously as they watched these different films. They also measured the actual genital response. And so the female genital response was measured uh, using vaginal pulse amplitude is what they measured using a vaginal photoplasmograph signal. Um, and so that's basically measuring blood flow to the vaginal area. And for the male response, they have a what they describe as a reliable and valid method for measuring changes in penile circumference, which again is measuring blood flow. And so they have these more objective measures but as we'll see, there's not always a direct correspondence or maybe even a direct connection to the genital response and what someone is experiencing psychologically. So I'm not going to review the whole thing because it's a 14-page article. There's lots of data. But in general, what they noticed for women is that the response was more ubiquitous to anything sexual. Let me get to the summary so I don't... Um, screw up their their work here. So 
They said the results of the present study were consistent with our hypotheses. Sexual activity, the type of sexual activity, was a stronger determinant of women's sexual response than was the gender of the actors in the sexual films. Whereas for men, actor gender was a stronger determinant of their sexual responses. So for men, it didn't really matter what was going on as long as for a heterosexual man, it was a female actor, or for a homosexual man, it was a male actor. The response patterns of homosexual and heterosexual men were essentially mirror images of each other, with both their subjective and penile responses corresponding to their preferred gender. And as you look at the data, it's very clear with the men that there's a, there's a high degree of correspondence between their genital response and their psychological uh, or their uh, subjective response. There was a significant effect of sexual activity on male sexual responses, but primarily for their preferred gender. A different pattern of results was found for heterosexual and homosexual women. Heterosexual women's subjective and vaginal responses varied as a function of sexual activity, but not actor gender, whereas homosexual women's sexual responses varied as both a function of activity and gender. The effects of actor gender cues on sexual activity cues are summarized and discussed in the following sections. So that's basically the distillation of the results that they have summarized in various tables and plots. So the reason why I thought that was interesting was it shows that the experience of sexual arousal is different between men and women, um, even if we include different sexual orientations. And with the women where it's more ubiquitous, um, or I guess more ambiguous is probably a better way to say it, it, that can bring up a lot of the... Okay, so it was ambiguous, but it was also the, the, had a lower correspondence between their genital response and their right. subjective psychological response. Um, right. And I wanted to get your take on that. Why is it that men have this higher sure. correspondence, women have a lower correspondence, and women seem to have a more fluid genital response compared to men? So what are your thoughts on this article, this set of experiments? So, of course, this is when researchers and theorists start theorizing because, you know, how do you make sense of these data? So this is just my interpretation of them. Um, I think that one way of Maybe I have two or three ways of thinking about it. One is that I that we are very much socialized in our culture to think that men are sexual and women are not sexual. That is, if you're decent, good people, that to be a real man, you need to be sexual. To be a real woman, you need to have sexuality be very much an afterthought. <laughs> That's part of demonstrating femininity and masculinity. So... First of all, it's easier for men to recognize if they're aroused than it is for women to recognize if they're aroused because a uh, penis becomes erect. A woman can't look visually see that she's aroused. So it's, it's perhaps and more... And every boy that goes through puberty is very aware of... <laughs> Absolutely aware of this. <laughs> the embarrassing... Yeah, the, you can't hide it from yourself uh, or anyone else. Aware of this, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, so, you know, in some ways, what's the point of denying it? Because there's physical evidence, but also it, it it's part of, it, you don't feel cultural pressure to deny it. So I think one element of this may be that the, the lining up of the owning of arousal and being physiologically aroused is more culturally supported than for women, where women may 
I think many of my clients have actually learned how to deny or push away evidence or recognition of arousal because it's counter to an identity that they're comfortable with. And so while they're going through puberty, their bodies are also responding to visual sexual cues, but there's less support that owning that reality is part of establishing yourself as a, as a desirable, good female. So I think women learn how to deny this aspect of themselves. So I think that's one interpretation um, of it. I think another interpretation of it is that, as you've probably heard me say on previous podcasts, if you had to claim either males or females as being more sexual, I think the safer choice is females. And this is still counter to how we think. Um, but really, I think women are deeply sexual beings. And partly that's why male-dominated cultures and societies have tried very much to control women's sexuality because women are sensual, deeply erotic creatures, okay? that we um, often construct female sexuality as being in response to male sexuality, that it's constructed in reference to male sexuality. But, you know, I think both men and women are, are highly oriented, well, I should say heterosexual men and women are highly oriented to women's bodies as, a, as kind of the epitome of sexuality, that women are aroused by women's bodies, heterosexual women are aroused by women's bodies, because women's bodies so deeply represent sexuality, the female form, you know. So I think there's so much, um, women are very sexual. They respond very much to their environments and they have a deep sexual yearning inside of them. That said, one of the reasons why I think women look less sexual is not only because sexuality that's strictly in reference to male sexuality is not very preferable for women and they don't want it, okay? So they learn how to not respond to that. But I think the other reason is that even though women are more sexual, they're more picky. And so this, you know, the kind of subjective, the physiological response and the difference between subjective, another explanation for it is that my body may be responding because I'm a sexual being and I'm responding to those cues in my environment, but owning desire is a different move to say, I want, I choose, I want to be sexual in this way or with this person. Women are much slower to make that move than men are. So men are less discriminating about their sexual behavior than women are. And biologically, that makes sense. Women are more vulnerable sexually to reproduction, to disease. And so I think women know to be selective, um, meaning women, when they know that the sex that they're choosing is what they want and is highly desirable to them, then you will see, then you see the sort of depth and um, strength of women's sexuality. So women may well be responding to lots of cues in their environment because they're deeply sexual. That's very different than whether or not they want to be sexual with someone um, in response to that arousal. So. Uh, as you're talking, one question came to mind. You're, you're talking about the female body being highly sexual, the female form being sexual. One critique of our culture is often that female bodies are over-sexualized or hyper-sexualized. Mm -hmm. I wonder, how do you balance out the hyper-sexualization of female bodies with the innate or inherent sexuality of female bodies because I think that a lot of right. people can feel a conflict they're like I Absolutely. feel this way but all the articles I just read said this is like exploiting me so what do I do right 
It's an excellent question. And I think it's hard to articulate the nuance in it because I agree. Like when you look at adolescent girls and you look at advertising and so on, there is so much exploitation of the female form to sell things. And I think when it feels particularly dehumanizing is when it's in reference to gratifying male sexuality and not about uh, really honoring the person inside the body, right? So when, when you keep that frame alive, that basically men are the consumers, then it is devaluing to the female form is basically seen as something where women's bodies are being used to gratify male sexual urge. Right. Right. But that's kind of reinforcing of a problematic frame, in my opinion. And I'm not, I'm not saying women should walk around without clothing on. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not reality that works in people's in human beings' favor. But what I'm saying is that because we keep alive that idea, it handicaps women's sexuality because then owning their sexuality, for women to own their sexuality is to say you're doing it to basically gratify men rather than to occupy your own um, comfort in your own body, to own your sexuality comfortably, to be comfortable with your desirability and your desire. And I, I'm certainly objectification of females happens it happens a lot but it's the frame that's the problem rather than the inherent sexuality and sensuality of women and men right right that makes a lot of sense about who who we're satisfying with our frame yeah right because you know a lot of times women learn i'd rather i don't want to be objectified so i will basically repress and shut down my sexuality because i don't want to be used by anybody and certainly that's a reasonable response if you think i either get to be sexual and possessed by another person or basically have to gratify them all the time or uh not be sexual many women choose you know i won't be sexual because i don't want to feel like i have to take care of some my husband's sexuality for the rest of my life yeah. but if you but, but see, but then, of course, that frame is the problem. Um, if you see it more as like owning my sexuality as part of accepting the gift that God gave me that's inherent to having a body, that's inherent to, you know, um, it's, it's an it's a implicit gift of, of having a body and being human and being in a loving relationship. Then, and how do I create a relationship with my husband that is satisfying for me also? But now you have a more helpful frame more helpful question to even ask but that's not the way most of us have been socialized and so many of us shut it down rather than really develop a sexual relationship that we really desire and that's worth having so one other question with uh in relation to the ambiguous and broad response to these different that women had to different visual stimuli if a woman is uh, is uh, considers herself heterosexual, but finds herself mm-hmm. aroused by you know images of other women, or vice versa. If if someone says um, considers themselves homosexual, but they're aroused by images of men, how do they reconcile mm-hmm. these? You know, the, how do they reconcile their orientation that they are very comfortable in that? You know, we don't, I don't think we can declare all women bisexual just because they have a genital response Mm to, to, um, multiple, uh, visual stimuli, but how do, how do they make, how would they make sense of 
what you know kind of like in the study what's going on in their head and what's going on in their body basically what i would say is that the fact that your body a woman's quite receptive to sexual stimuli is just a part of women's nature in general that you're going to be responsive to sexual stimuli even if it's imagery of animals copulating can be arousing for some women meaning their body will respond to it it's just part of being highly sexual or that your body's very responsive to it i think what the real the real defining factor is is what do you want sexually who are what kind of meanings are appealing to you sexually what do you choose sexually what do you really desire whom do you desire to be sexual with? That's really what the issue is. So I think that um, many women are aroused by other women's bodies, which is very different than I want to be with a woman. Um, or that, that just sexual imagery can be appealing, which is very different than what do you really choose. And that's true for many, for both men and women, that what can appeal to you is maybe very different from what you would in reality want. What might appeal to you in fantasy or what might be an arousing idea uh, would be very different than what you would actually want uh, to actually do or be who you'd want to actually be with. So, and this may be even more true for women possibly, but I think again, that disconnect between the body's response and what you really would sort of own as I want this for women was more disparate in part because I think women again are picky. So what is it that I'm actually choosing or I desire? That's really the meaningful part in my opinion all right so that's a that's a fun article that if you're interested i'll put the abstract up on the website and a link to it obviously and you can look through the data there's a lot of little things you can look at all throughout and they have a really good long discussion section at the end um interpreting the data kind of like jennifer has here so with that out of the way, and we'll probably do another one of these articles in one of the subsequent episodes, but with that out of the way, let's answer one question. And this is a short one. Um, often with the short ones, we have less information, so we kind of have to make assumptions or whatever. But uh, here we go. I am a 33-year-old married LDS woman with three kids. I have difficulty reaching orgasm during sex and am not sure how to overcome that. For years, my poor husband has done oral on me. Then we have sex to finish him. He hates it, but I'm not sure what to do. I don't seem to get the same arousal during intercourse. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Okay, so, I mean, I'm not sure why the husband hates it so much. So that would be helpful to better understand if it's just that. I'm just trying to understand maybe what the problem is in particular. So I think, let me just start with this, which is that I think many of us feel like if we can't um, both orgasm while having intercourse, we are somehow defective. Than in reality, most women cannot orgasm with intercourse. And I uh, learned from the reading uh, researcher, that this had to do with the position of the clitoris relative to the vaginal opening, or at least that's a factor in it. Right. The closer that the clitoral head is to the vaginal opening, the easier it is for women to orgasm, and the further away it is, the more difficulty that they may encounter. And so um, I believe the statistic is two-thirds of women do not orgasm their course. Um, and so this woman's in good company. Um, and again, I would kind of going back to the first idea of, of this podcast is that that whole idea is really, again, around sexuality, women's sexuality in reference to male sexuality, that 
that intercourse is often men's preferred way to orgasm, but isn't necessarily going to best stimulate the clitoris, which is the way for a woman to orgasm. And so if you, you know, it's like trying to um, do fine art with a, with a thick magic marker or something. Yeah. <laughs> the, the clitoris is best stimulated manually or with a tongue because it's a, it's a complex, the clitoral floor, the um, pelvic floor, that the clitoris has more nerve endings than the penis does. And it's a, it's a whole, you know, erogenous landscape there, essentially, where lots of ways that you can stimulate a woman and much better to do it without, meaning intercourse can be a nice aspect of sex. But for most women, really the best way to be aroused and to come to orgasm is through stimulation of the clitoris, but not through intercourse. So nothing's going wrong with this particular couple. And I do think, I do have a couple more thoughts about it, though. I'd be interested in understanding what's so disappointing for the man about this. It could be, I think there's some men and women who feel somewhat disgusted by oral sex. They're not accustomed to either the taste or the idea of it. I think some people, again, feel like it's somehow uh, less than, even in a sort of spiritual, moral sense, and so feel that somehow they're not really having sex the right way. I think that for some people, it's just a disappointment that they can't orgasm in the way that they had maybe once imagined that was the, the best way. So I don't know how much this is just about making an adjustment to like what's going to gratify both of us and, and what do we do about it? Uh, how, you know, what does that mean about how we might engage sexually differently? Because I think many couples get much happier once they say, what is it that you and I need and how can we accommodate one another to really have pleasure together and to enjoy one another? And it may, you know, intercourse may be a part of it, but it's probably going to include a lot more stimulation outside of intercourse. So I don't know if it's vacation or um, if this is a couple that really, really wants to try and have orgasms uh, together through intercourse. Now, if you really want to try that, I would say something that you can do is to try and get yourself close. You can shift your the patterns of stimulation that bring you to orgasm. And one good way to do that is to bring yourself very, very close to orgasm and then try and shift into another tactile pattern and see if you can come in that different arousal form as you've gotten very, very close to climax. So it means, you know, as you're going on edge, so to speak, of the amount of stimulation that will bring you into orgasm, that you shift to another pattern of stimulation, such as intercourse. And so um, that may be one way to train your body to be more responsive to, to um, penetration as for, for bringing you to orgasm. So you can try that. But what I would say may be challenging for this particular couple is that they see their current pattern as a failure on some level. And so if you're doing it from a frame of, of we're failing and we need to figure this out so that we're, I don't know, a more normal couple or something, I think that's a meaning frame that will interfere. If this is fun, I'm glad that we are able to be sexual together and enjoy one another. And I would like to also expand my repertoire to see if I can orgasm with intercourse because that might be fun. Um, then, then I think that's a meaning frame that would be much more likely to succeed because it's just about expanding your abilities, expanding your repertoire together um, 
and enjoying one another in the process of doing that. Yeah, and as uh, when I read the question, and I, I kind of wondered the same thing, you know, why is this not enjoyable for the husband as well? And like you've said, it could be a could be a number of things. And I just want to point a couple things um, in our part twelve, which is the podcast episode number eighty three. We kind of dealt with this question about the oral sex guidance that's still oh, yeah. being passed around as prophetic counsel in uh, in various formats. And so there's a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe a thousand word write-up on that issue, and you can listen yeah. to the discussion on that. And also, one of the books that Jennifer suggests regularly is She Comes First by Ian Kerner. Yeah. And that's very good in talking about anatomy and how arousal works. And uh, I think that's where I read what you described. The the distance from the vaginal opening to the clitoris is highly correlated with Mm -hmm. a woman's ability to have, um, negatively correlated with the woman's ability to have um, orgasms during intercourse. Uh, Orgasm with intercourse. Yeah. Right. So that's a great book for... For your husband if he's willing to read that but i think you're right i think a lot of the expectations the way that we frame it if we frame it as like a a frustrating thing that we have to fix that becomes really hard to fix i think but if you frame it as as something that like an expansion of our repertoire that's more exciting and it's probably going to be more successful and i think that might be one right. of the, the most important things is to have that more open outlook versus we're failing, we're failing. Right. So many couples really when you know, as a clinician and really kind of understanding what's happening between people in their sexual relationship, there's a lot of things that for people, but that they feel that their sexual relationship is a form of measurement of who they are as a couple or who they are as individuals. And you really see sex becomes not an act of intimacy, but an act of self-measurement. And it makes it much more painful and much more difficult to really develop a sexual, enjoyable friendship and kind of sure as you explore and expand your repertoire and develop your capabilities as a couple, because there's so much self-measurement on the line and and so, you know, I think helping people to step away from that and to be more comfortable with themselves sexually and to learn together and to dare to know themselves and their partner better. I think that's a very important part of forging a more intimate and meaningful sexual relationship. All right. Well, thank you for that uh, answer discussion on that question. As usual, all listeners, if you're new to the the series that we've been doing here, go back and listen to the other episodes and see what questions have been asked before. Um, and feel free to submit your questions anonymously through the comments or through the email address that we leave on each episode or any other way that you can get it to us. I, how did, this one didn't come through Rational Faiths, right? This came directly to you. Yeah, somebody sent it to me, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can try and contact Jennifer as well, and uh, that might be a way to get a question in. But thanks again, Jennifer, for talking and providing your insight and opinion on these important issues, I think, important for people's relationships. Thanks, Brian.
Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Jennifer and myself. Like I said a minute ago, if you have your own questions, you can submit them in uh, several different ways. And I do have a few episodes that are waiting to be edited that uh, will be coming out over the next couple weeks. So look forward to those. I have one of the movie episodes that I probably mentioned months ago. And uh, we're, we're working on getting together to talk about yet another movie. So we should have those two coming out soon. Um, as well as an interview with some of the editors of the book Mormon Feminism. So we've got a bunch of stuff that will be coming out soon. I just need to organize my time. And I ha- I've been hesitating on doing more interviews because I'm having some connection issues that makes it makes the conversation a little bit more clunky. So again, apologize for any uh, poor audio quality. And it makes editing a nightmare. So still working on that, but we're still churning along. And as always, keep keeping it weird.